You're listening to Illini Life Audio, messages from a community of Christian believers on the campus of University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. For more audio and video content, visit IlliniLife.org. All right. Well, good morning, Alani Life. Uh, I hope you've had a chance to gather with some others this morning. The sun is shining. It is a beautiful day. I hope it gets as warm as it was yesterday. It was a nice taste of spring. Uh, I've been really encouraged by this warmer weather. I don't know if if you have, but uh, the sunshine is the biggest thing for me. It just makes my whole uh, disposition that much better. Amy, my wife and I, we've talked about it. It seems like people have just been happier this week because the sun has been shining and the weather has been warmer. Even my my cheerful three-year-old son, his attitude has even been lifted, which is hard, hard to imagine because he's always so exuberant to begin with. There's a noticeable shift in people's attitudes. But this is typical for us Midwesterners, right? This is sort of like the time of the year where people just can't help but smile. Things are hopeful. The weather is changing. Maybe the dark, cold winter months are behind us. Maybe there will be no more snow, and we can start to imagine the warmer weather. I think it's more pronounced this year. Maybe you'd agree. I think in the pandemic, our isolation is is starting to get to us, and and the warmer weather, it allows us to, to move out of our isolation, right? Our world can expand beyond just the walls of our houses now. It can expand to include outside, and maybe I can wave to a stranger as we walk down the street instead of looking at people through screens all the time. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's just me. Maybe you can relate. Uh, maybe a few warmer days, some sunshine has gone to my head, but I am feeling so much more uplifted right now. It could very well be the case that it's just me. I've, I've been labeled often a hopeless optimist. Uh, I always think the future will be better. You know, signs today mean something better is coming. That is the way I operate. A change in the weather brings excitement for new possibilities, warmer weather outside, sports, fun, summer. I know the future will be better. It has to be. That's just the way I live. And so the weather, it gives me that, a taste of that. You know, I am so future-minded that I I have to be forced to be in the present at times. I have to force myself to be here and think about the now rather than what is coming. I think this really has served me in life. It's it's aided me in in being very driven towards my goals, my future goals, and and really accomplish a lot. It's really helped me in this pandemic because I just, I can't help but think about life being different than it is now, being back to some level of normalcy or, or restrictions lifted, life being better. Vision for the future, that's what I've been talking about, right? Hope in the future, knowing the end of the story. That's the life of a Christian. That's the life we live as followers of Jesus. We know the end of the story. God wins. Ultimately, God prevails. Evil Will be, put, will be bound for good. All creation will be restored. God will make things right again. God will restore all things. Maybe, maybe because God knows our, our humanity and the difficulties that we face in life, the difficulties that, that life marred with sin, what we're up against, maybe because of that, he's always offered a future hope to his people. He's always offered that future perspective. You know, think about it, even, even from the garden at the fall, 
He prophesies. He tells Adam and Eve, there will be one that will crush the serpent's head. Some of us refer to that as, as the serpent head crushing prophecy, which is kind of a fun way to think about it. He tells of, of a day when evil, when the serpent will be crushed. And Jesus, he declared, he said, I'm going away, but I will come back. I will return. Even in, in the book of Revelation, we have this beautiful picture of hope, of God triumphing, God winning the day, his ultimate victory. Now, throughout scripture, God has offered a, a, a future hope. He's promised a better future for us. He's given us glimpses of what that would look like. Even back at the calling of Abram, in the beginning, the promise in Genesis 12, we see this future hope. God, God, he calls Abram and he gives him a promise for the future. He tells him, let me, let me read it to you. Let me, let me frame in our, our message this morning with this. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. So that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all families of the earth shall be blessed. See, from, from the outset, God's heart has been to bless all nations. All families of the earth be blessed. Now, blessing, maybe that's confusing for you. We can best understand that as, as experiencing the presence of God, being in relationship, being restored to God. That's blessing. That's what, what's in view. And God, he tells this to an old man who has no children. A great nation will come from him. How is that going to happen? How is he going to make him into a great nation to accomplish his purposes, to bless all the earth? He gave Abram a future hope. And we know he went on to do it. So as we encounter our servant song for the morning, Right? We're in the midst of our Lent series studying the servant of God out of Isaiah. As we encounter this second servant song, we're going to see this mission reaffirmed. We're going to see the humanity of the servant of God. We're going to see the glory of God manifest in the servant, through the servant. And this morning, this servant, the second servant song, it's a beautiful poem showing us the ultimate mission of God mission that's been there all along. It offers us a future hope. It shows us his end game. So what is the end game of God? What is he after? What's God been doing? What's he up to all throughout history? Let's take a look at our passage and start to unpack that a little bit. Let's start to get some answers and try to understand, wrap our minds around it. We're going to be in Isaiah 49 this morning. And if you want to turn there in a Bible or, or turn on your digital Bible and, and scroll there, uh, great. If not, we'll have the passage on the screen like usual. Uh, but remember, in, in the past weeks, as, as we've been sharing, as we encounter the servant throughout this series, we're going to be learning more about him. He's shaping, he's forming. We're coming to understand more of who this person is as Isaiah reveals more and more through these prophecies. It's being revealed to us. So let's, let's dive in. We're going to focus just on verses 1 through 7 this morning, uh, just to keep it manageable. Um, and I want, to, I want to start out a little differently. I want to read all those verses, and then we'll go back and, and look at them in, in units and chunks. Listen to this song. Hear it. 
Remember, this was a prophecy spoken by Isaiah to the people. They heard this with their ears. Hear it with yours. It's a spoken message. Listen, there's dialogue, there's exchange here. Let's walk through it. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me a polished arrow in his quiver and hid me away. And he said to me, You are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise, rise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to the one deeply despised, abhorred by the nations, the servant of rulers. Kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves. Because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. That's our servant's song. It's a beautiful dialogue. But right off the bat, we notice something that I know many of you saw in your small groups this week. Prophecy is tricky to track. There is conversation here. We don't know who's speaking when. It's dialogue. Now, Isaiah's delivering this message. Is he the one saying these things? Is, is God saying these things? Is the servant speaking? Who's all, what's going on in this passage? There's a back and forth. There's different speakers. Now, as you study a passage like this, it's, it's really helpful to understand who's speaking when. It helps us understand the flow of the passage. It helps us unlock the theology and what's being revealed, what God is communicating. Now, some, some helpful tools to do that, you know, is uh, we go back, we, we, we understand the passages as more information is revealed to us, right? We might understand, unlock more as we read on. A good translation can help you with this, or maybe even comparing different translations. Read a paraphrase, read a more word-for-word -word translation. See how they differ. See what they're showing you, what they're bringing out in this original language that might, we might be missing. So, Track who's speaking, and we'll do that this morning as we walk through our passage. Super helpful for prophecy, especially as the prophet speaks for the Lord, remember? Right away in our passage, right, we start out with a command. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. Right? This is a message. This is a message for all creation, all people. It's addressed to all people, people afar, the coastlands, everyone. The whole world. It's a global address. But we're not sure who's making that address, are we? It doesn't tell us. It just starts off with a command. Listen. And this, this aspect, 
being a global address to the whole world, that's unique for the prophets. It's not often that that happens. Now, the prophets, they spoke to Israel, and so the fact that this, this is a prophecy to the whole world sets this apart. There is something special happening here. It draws us in. Let's look back at those verses, the, the opening here, and start to unpack that a little bit more. Here we're going to learn about the servant and his connection to God. So let's, let's reread some of those verses. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, You are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. So, three verses in. By the time we reach verse three, we now understand who's been speaking. It's the servant of the Lord. He's speaking. We've met him in description. Now we're hearing his voice words. In the text so far, it's been first-person description of, of God's calling, preparing, and naming this individual, but we didn't know who it was until it's revealed in three. So now that reframes this command. The servant is speaking to the whole world. The servant, we learn, he is called by God before his birth. He is known and named by God in his mother's womb. There is a true humanity to this servant. He will be born of a mother. He is growing in her, and he is known by God. This is no accident. God is intimately involved. With intention, God called and knew him. He named him, and he prepared him for his purposes. That intention that continues on in that preparation, that's what's going on in these, this mouth and the, the shadow of his hand and the polished arrow. We read, right? He, he prepared his mouth like a sharp sword. He made his words effective, cutting through to the heart, speaking and revealing truth. He's hidden in the, hand, the shadow of the hand of God. He's protected and provided for. He's an arrow in the quiver ready for battle to be effective in God accomplishing his purpose, his ultimate victory. And then we learn of his identity, just as he does from the mouth of the Lord. You are my servant Israel. The original speaker we've been learning about, he's identified as the servant, and his name is now Israel. Not only do we learn who he is, we learn that he will glorify God. His glory, God's glory will be on display in him. Now this is a bold statement. In scripture, when it talks about the glory of God, it's displayed through his actions, through his identity, through his work. But here, it's displayed through the servant of God. This is unique. He doesn't do this. No, the servant, there is something special, something unique about this servant. The glory of God will be manifest in him. He will reveal the glory of God. So the servant, we've learned, he's, he's called for a purpose. In his, in his mother's womb, God knew him. He's prepared. God has equipped him. And he has a unique position to accomplish that. A unique standing with God to bring forth God's mission, to accomplish God's purposes. Now, 
a fascinating detail about this servant that could be easy for us to miss is his name, right? Here, he's given the name Israel, which, which at first we might scratch our head and think, is, is this just the, the nation of Israel that he's talking about? Are we talking about God's people? But, but the more we read the passage, the more and more we learn about the servant, we know this is a distinct individual. This is not just the nation of Israel. Now it becomes very clear, this is, a, this is an individual. This is one who will succeed in accomplishing God's promise given to Abram, where the nation has failed. And Isaiah has made it very clear that they have failed. It's not, it's not really a stretch of imagination for us, right? If we, if we, if we think about the, the story of Scripture, it's not a stretch that the name of Israel would be applied to a person, is it? I know some of you realize this in your small groups this week. The name Israel was originally the name of an individual before it was the name of the nation. God is bringing it back full circle. The name of the servant shall be Israel. Let me show you what I mean by this. In, in Genesis chapter 35, we read of an encounter between Jacob and God. Here it is. Let me, let me just read that to you quickly. Uh, God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel, and God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and to Isaac I give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him, and Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken to him, Bethel. Jacob was the original Israel, an individual named Israel. God passed the promise from Abraham and Isaac on to Jacob, and he renamed him Israel. Here, in Isaiah's prophecy, he reclaims the name for the servant. He's declaring the servant Israel, and he's invoking the original promise and desire to be a blessing to all nations, to accomplish God's purposes. He will be the true Israel. So as we've met this servant, we've seen, his, we've seen God call him, right? He called him, he named him. God prepared him to accomplish his mission, and he affirms his identity. He gives him the ability to follow through and glorify God. Now God is intimately involved. He's intimately connected with this servant. This is how God has always operated. He calls individuals to accomplish his purposes. He prepares them gives them the ability to follow through. And he gives them the position or the status to do so. Think about it. Noah, Moses, Joshua, the judges, the prophets, David, John the Baptist, Jesus, the disciples, you and I, 
all called, all prepared, all provided for in order to accomplish God's purposes in the world. Let's keep reading and see what else we can learn about our, the servant. We're going to pick back up in verses 4 and 5. Here we're going to see the servant, he's discouraged. And, and we're going to see God's response to that, his affirmation and restoring the servant. Let's read. But I said, and this is the servant speaking again, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. The servant, he, he declares that he's, he's been striving. He's been, his work, it's been for nothing. He believes it's in vanity. It's, it's vain. There's nothing and he finds this reward in the Lord, right? He finds his rest there, his recompense, it says. See, he, he, he rests back in the Lord, and the Lord is able to affirm him with truth, to speak against the discouragement, to restore his strength. Right? Truth prevails. And, and at this point, many have scratched their head and said, is, could this servant really be Jesus? When was, when was Jesus discouraged like this? When, when was his labor in vain? When, when did he spend his strength for nothing? His sacrifice was quite effectual. Um, some, some have seen this, this statement as, as a reason to insist, this servant, it's not Jesus. This is someone else. It must be someone else Isaiah is talking about. I think if we conclude that, we miss the reality, the truth of Jesus' ministry. Right, think about it. Jesus' earthly ministry, it was marked by rejection, by unbelief, by misunderstanding. Right? He, he rebukes the people at one point for being a faithless and twisted generation. <laughs> they can't hear his message. He's frustrated with the disciples at times because they don't get it. He, he knew his disciples would fall away. He tells them so much as much. Even Peter, the rock, right, the, the, the strong disciple, one from the inner circle, he tells him, you will deny me three times. This is a savior who struggled with, it, with how people received him, how people heard his message. I think the servant's statement here, I think it's sort of a flattening of all of the frustrated ministry Jesus is doing, all of the, the misunderstanding, the rejection and unbelief. I think it's a flattening of that and how God overcomes it, right? This is, this is Jesus in Gethsemane wrestling with his mission, wrestling with his humanity. Yeah, I think Jesus was frustrated in his ministry at times. I think he was discouraged in his ministry. And rather than give up and be criticized, I think he found his affirmation in God, and I think he sets a model for us in that. The servant sets a model for us here in Isaiah. Right? He finds truth in his identity, who God has made him. You know, I don't, I don't know about you. I don't know if you have been frustrated in ministry, if you have been disappointed or discouraged by the church, but I assure you, if you walk with Christ long enough, you will be at some point. 
It's the reality of living in a sinful world in an imperfect church in an imperfect uh, world waiting to be set to right. Let me assure you, you will face discouragement. You will face frustration in ministry. And when that happens, we do just like the servant. We find our recompense in God. We find our reward in God, and we find our identity and truth in God. We don't focus on the fleeting outcomes of of ministry efforts or the vanity of ministry results and successes. Now, Illini Life, let us be like the servant. Let us find our identity and our reward in Christ. Let's find our reward, our strength in God. Let's continue reading our passage here. Um, Here in the final verses, we're going to see the true scope of the mission of the servant, what God has called him to accomplish. Salvation reaching the ends of the earth. And then we're going to see his exalted status. Let's read He says, now this is God speaking, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to the one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servants of rulers. Kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. God speaks here to affirm the God-sized mission this servant has called, is called to, is going to carry out. Restoring the tribes of Jacob, that would be too small a task for him. God has something much bigger in mind. Israel was never the end goal. The servant will put God's plan back on the tracks and put it full speed ahead to to reach the nation. Salvation to the ends of the earth, it says, a light to the world. That's the end game. That's what God has been after. It's been the plan from the beginning. It doesn't stop there, though, right? We're told that the servant, though he is rejected and despised, will eventually be bowed down to by the kings and princes of the world. He will prove to be the true king, the one exalted to the highest place, worthy of worship and praise. At at the time of Isaiah, at the time he's prophesying, Israel had lost sight of their true calling and purpose. They lost sight of being a blessing to all peoples. Isaiah, he describes them as as bound, as blind. They're they're sinful and they're they're unfit to carry on the task of being God's blessing to the world. For that, they'll go off into captivity. They can't be a light to the nations. They can't be a blessing to others because they've gone dark themselves and they've lost sight of God. They're not even a blessing to themselves anymore. The servant, the servant of God, will step in to be the true Israel. That's who Isaiah is pointing to. He will be the true Israel once again. He is the one who will unite all God's people and include all people in God's family and bless all people. See, the thing of it, though, is is history repeats itself. Israel's not unique. 
See, they'll come back from captivity and they'll be restored and there'll be this glimmer of hope. But within a half century, at the time of Jesus, they'll lose sight of it again. They'll become overly ethnocentric, avoiding those outside the faith because they're unclean. How can you, how can you be a blessing if you avoid? They'll be overly nationalistic, seeking the glory days of Israel, wanting to be, it to be restored and brought back. But they'll, they'll fail to consider how they lost it to begin with, abandoning God and, and sinning against him. They lost sight of being a light for the nations, of being God's blessing to all people. And because of that, in the time of Jesus, many missed him. They didn't get him. They didn't see him as the servant, as God's Messiah. A line of life. History repeats itself. The church today, we await Jesus' return. We await the final chapter of God's plan to restore all creation, to be a blessing to all people. Have we lost sight of that calling? Have we lost sight of what that means? I hope we haven't. I pray we haven't. As a church, I want us to strive for that end game. Let's strive to be a people called by God, prepared for his work, and a people who glorify him. Let's do that all so that others can be invited in and do the same. In, in, as we close this morning, I want us to reflect back on, on where we started this, this message, right? With a question. We asked, what is God's endgame? What is he after? Where is all this headed? Right? And we saw God's heart has always been for the nations, for the whole earth, for all creation. From the moment Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and were banished from Eden, God has been working to bring them back into relationship with him bring humanity back to the tree of life. He's been working to restore all people, to be a blessing and to be in relationship with all people once again. And so as Jesus took on flesh, he was called and known by God in the womb. He was equipped and prepared for his mission through his perfect connection with the Father. And he united all tribes of the earth with his death, bringing us back into the presence of God, ultimately being exalted through the resurrection and ascending to the right hand of the Father. For we worship him as the true king. Jesus is the servant of God, the true Israel from whom a great nation, a great people were established, God's kingdom, God's people. He's the one who brought salvation to the ends of the earth. He is the king that all will bow to. In the book of Revelation, we see this beautiful picture of God's endgame. Let me read that to you. Picture it in your mind. Then an angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. 
The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Jesus, the servant of God, the true Israel, he will heal all nations and be the light of the world. No more darkness, no more pain, no more death, no more pandemic. Only creation, worshiping the Lord forever and ever. That's the end game. That's what the servant brings about. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Right? And so, Alani Life, as we continue through Lent, let us keep our focus on the glorious promise of the future. Let us put our hope in the future and what the servant is doing and has done. Let us repent in the ways we have lost sight of God in our lives and let us find hope in God and his work through his servant, Jesus. Will you pray with me?